If you're new to Citadel Square, welcome. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here. If you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and pick it up and find the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke in your New Testament. Uh, that's where we've been for a number of weeks here since before Christmas, and we are just clipping along section after section as we look at uh, Jesus in his public ministry. Uh, if you have been with us for the past couple of weeks, uh, we have seen Jesus Christ in conflict with the Pharisees. Um, Jesus Christ came onto the scene in teaching in his hometown synagogue, uh, proclaiming that the scripture of the book of Isaiah has been fulfilled in his ministry. And then really his ministry has been gangbusters since then. Everywhere he goes, uh, reports go out. Everything that he says, everything that he does, people are healed, sins are forgiven. And what you've been seeing in these really this kind of this stretch in the middle of really chapter 5 um, into what we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 6, is this conflict of worldviews. Uh, you remember Jesus began his conflict with the Pharisees, forgiving that man that was let down through the roof, where the Pharisees' worldview said, nobody has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus said, I do. Uh, and then we saw his conflict with the Pharisees over the fact that the Pharisees want to keep people out, but Jesus keeps bringing them in. The Pharisees said, you can't eat, and Jesus and his disciples keep eating and saying, come to the party. Well, today, Jesus is going to go on the offensive, and I love when Jesus goes on the offense. Uh, and what he's going to do is show up uh, in a very particular way, at a very particular time. Uh, if you'll take a look there at Luke chapter 6. Y'all there? You on Luke 6? Take a look at Luke 6. You see how it starts with those three little words, on the Sabbath? Well, we're going to look at that first paragraph in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at the second paragraph in Luke chapter 6. Look at 6.6. Six. See how 6.6 six, six starts? Same three words, Right? So what you've got in this setting of these two paragraphs, Luke gives you two vignettes, two stories that really talk about, again, Jesus' authority and Jesus' heart. And they're going to be put right next to each other so that by the end of our time together, the Pharisees are literally going to be out of their minds with anger and fury. So this moment in Jesus' ministry is important because it happens on the Sabbath. What do you think? If the, if the Pharisees can, uh, can screw up a party, do you think they can screw up the Sabbath? Well, they sure can. Uh, they can screw up the Sabbath. And it doesn't seem like uh, you can, it doesn't seem like screwing up the Sabbath is really that hard. All you got to do is stop and rest, right? The Sabbath is given to God's people from the beginning of creation, from Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath is given for the good of God's creation. But the Pharisees have warped it. They've twisted it. They've turned it so that their religious observance of the day has become uh, oppressive in the minds and hearts of the people of this day and time. And Jesus is going to go on the offensive and he's going to explode the whole system and it's going to be awesome. All right, so let's pray and we'll ask, uh, we'll ask God for his grace as we look at this text here today. Father, for these few minutes, we pause as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper today. We remember uh, the fact that Jesus is good, that Jesus is the forgiver of sins, that Jesus welcomes outsiders in because of his goodness and kindness in forgiving sins, that he calls those who are the furthest from being welcomed into welcome and relationship with himself. What good news that is. And that's the testimony of every single person in here who knows you, that I once was lost, but now am found. 
So Father, as we prepare our hearts to look at Luke chapter 6 today, I pray that you would open this text to our eyes as we spend a few minutes looking into it, that you give us grace to understand things that might not be clear on the surface, but through the power of your Spirit, we would understand more of who you are, more of the heart of Jesus Christ for us, more of the authority that Jesus uses to draw people into relationship with himself. So Father, bless us in that endeavor. Give us great strength and wisdom beyond our years. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 6, verse 1, let's go. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now, that verse does not feel like uh, a very radioactive verse, does it? It feels like a very simple verse. It's, it's, Luke is basically just describing events that are happening on the Sabbath. And the disciples are doing something that is very uh, commonplace in the ancient Near East. This was actually prescribed in the book of Deuteronomy that as you went throughout your day, you could make your way through the fields of a neighbor or a friend or somebody who was in the community. And you were allowed, you weren't allowed to steal their grain as if reap it and take it off to your house. But what you were allowed to do is take grain, pick it up, rub it in your hands, allow the shaft to blow away, and you could eat a snack. Amen for snacks? Who doesn't like snacks? My whole family runs on it. Mealtime is just blurred between snack times, really, in my house. Everything is, is snack. About every 30 minutes, somebody needs a snack. Uh, so amen for snacks. So the disciples are walking with Jesus, but the, the key turning point, the key... Um, problem in this text is really, like I said, those first three words. What they're doing is allowed by law. But what has happened is that the application of the Sabbath, the culture that now surrounds the day of rest has become so particular, so persnickety, so oppressive to the people of the day that the Pharisees are going to have an issue with this. So let's talk about Sabbath just for a minute before we get into it. The Sabbath is given from the beginning of creation all the way back into Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath is given as a day to observe, a day to keep holy, a day to rest because on the seventh day God rests from his work. Now, as you go through really the entire book of Genesis, the Sabbath is never mentioned. The Sabbath is never commanded. In fact, it's not until you get to the book of Exodus, once the people of Israel have, have, have left the nation of Egypt and their slavery, and they've come into the desert wanderings on their way to Sinai, that Sabbath is mentioned. It's not till that point when God gives manna from heaven. And God, in that context, in the midst of his people needing sustenance, water, and food during their travels in the desert, there's a point where God gives manna and says, you don't get to gather manna on the Sabbath. It's a day where you stay in your tents, you get enough of your provision on that day number six to not go out and gather. Thus, you'll have the Sabbath and it'll be holy. Then you get into Exodus chapter 20. We all know the Sabbath is given in Exodus chapter 20 as one of the commandments of God's people. It's one of the rules that the whole community lives by. And it's rooted in creation. It's rooted in Genesis chapter 2. So all through the early parts of your Bible, the Sabbath is given and observed in such a way to recognize that all that I have comes from God. All that is in my life. Paul says to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you did not receive? So the Sabbath for God's people is always meant to be a stop, a pause, a rest, and reflect to remember that everything that I have, everything that I've done this week, every effort that I have put forth 
is not going to produce fruit unless I acknowledge that it comes from God. Then I, unless I acknowledge and I pause and I stop and say, God, everything that I have is yours. Everything that you have put in my bank account, everything in an agricultural society that has been given to me from my seed to my uh, harvest to the water from the rains is all from your hand. And what I'm going to do is stop pause, reflect, and reorient my whole psyche around the fact that you have done something to give me what I need. That make sense? That's the whole point of Sabbath. And here are the disciples walking in a grain field with Jesus, rubbing the grain, blowing off the chaff, popping it in their mouth, enjoying a walk and a snack. Now, the Pharisees are going to have a problem with that. Look at verse 2. But, what a great contrast, right? But some of the Pharisees, imagine, just imagine having to be a Pharisee. Wouldn't it be a drag? That you are out on your Sabbath day, and the Pharisees, look at what they're doing. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? How close do you have to be to somebody to watch what they're doing with their hands and what they're putting in their mouth? Don't you just like get... Leave me alone. And these guys are, who's eating on the Sabbath? Over there. They're eating. Go get them. So here are the Pharisees saying, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, technically, as I said, because from the book of Deuteronomy, this is something that is not, that is technically lawful. But the problem the Pharisees have is that uh, is one of timing. They're doing something lawful on a day where they shouldn't be doing something lawful, which means that their interpretation of the biblical truth is warped by how they apply these truths on particular days. You with me? So lawful is a real loose term that they use because what these Pharisees have done is, is taken their tradition, their culture, and their interpretation, and they've stamped it with law. Can that ever be a problem? Where we take my, my history, my experience, the things that I do, the disciplines that I have, the ways that I've been taught, the way my home operated, and we brand it as law. And we go, when people don't live up to the law, we've got problems. Well, that's where the Pharisees are. So let me tell you why, you know, what is lawful on the Sabbath. What has happened in, in Jesus' time here with the Sabbath is that the Pharisees would take this rule from Exodus chapter 20 on the day that you are not supposed to work, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. And they said, aha, don't work. We need some people to help us define what not working is. And it went all the way down to things like you couldn't thread a needle. You couldn't. You could only carry so much weight. If you were a scribe, you could only carry enough ink to draw two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You couldn't prepare food. You couldn't shake out a garment for the fact that you might kill a bug and therefore do work. The system became so oppressive, so particular, so entrenched that something as simple as these disciples walking through a field and having a snack became totally prohibited. So naturally, they come to Jesus and his disciples and they say, ha, ah, we got you. You are breaking the Sabbath 
law. Now, let, let's just pause and admit, like, I don't know what your religious background is. I don't know how many churches you've been in before. But have you ever been in a context where you felt particularly evaluated? Have you ever been in a context where you felt like, I am not like everybody else here? These people do some things that I don't do, and unless I do the very particular list of things, I'm not really going to be welcomed in this group of people. Well, here's Jesus and the disciples doing things that get them kicked out of the Pharisees' culture. They get them critiqued by the religious leaders of the day. And these Pharisees have woven their interpretation and their tradition into a, a metric for evaluating people. So one of the dangers I think we can see right from the beginning is that Jesus recognizes, and we all recognize, that the Pharisees' ethic lives everywhere, doesn't it? Amen? There are Pharisees everywhere with all sorts of lists and rules and things and traditions and backgrounds and expectations and that, that kind of way of thinking and way of life lives everywhere. And I want to tell you, just give you great hope and great encouragement just for a minute that Jesus doesn't fit into that culture. Isn't that good news? He doesn't fit there. And Jesus is about to, like new wine in a new wineskin, stretch the Pharisees so that they're incredibly uncomfortable with the way their tradition, their history their interpretation works. So I want to encourage you, like, our goal here as a church is not to lay out a bunch of rules so that you fit in. Because our goal as a church here is for you to meet Jesus. Our goal as a church here is for you to come into a relationship with Jesus that transcends all of these nitpicking kinds of perspectives, all these nitpicking metrics and expectations and interpretations. Our goal for you is that you might step into a relationship with Jesus where you know him, where you walk with him. So now Jesus has to deal with these Pharisees. Don't you, don't you wish Luke would include a verse that said something like, and thus Jesus rolled his eyes. And walked away while setting the field on fire <laughs> from heaven. So you read this, look, we all, we all feel this is weird, right? You go like, God, God Pharisees, come on, man, get a, get a life. Go take a nap. Rest, it's the Sabbath. Amen for naps. But Jesus doesn't roll his eyes. Jesus is now going to, he's going to play ball, right? He's going to say, okay, you're going to volley across the net to me and say that what I'm doing is unlawful. I am going to volley back to you, only I'm going to use the Bible. I'm not going to use your tradition. Let's look at the Bible. Do the Pharisees agree with the Bible? Say yes. Yeah, they do. They do. That's where they got all their ideas from. So let's see how Jesus is going to take the Bible and break down the tradition, interpretation, and culture that he sees in his day and time. Verse 3. Jesus answered them, have you not read? Now, if you want to put a note in your Bible that says sarcasm, I think that's sarcasm. I love the fact that Jesus goes, have you read your Bible? Okay? Because when Jesus opens the Bible... 
Jesus is about to blow away all of the cultural interpretation and history and tradition and all those things. And the Bible in the hands of Jesus becomes so incredibly powerful for this issue. It becomes, it becomes the, the sweet relief that is needed where there is only tension and evaluation and critique and accusation. Because when Jesus opens the Bible, he ministers to people. And Jesus goes to a very, very interesting spot in the Bible. He goes to 1 Samuel 21. I won't make a turn there. You can read it this afternoon on your own. 1 Samuel 21 is a story. And it's a story about David, Israel's greatest king. And here's what Jesus says. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Now, let me pause just for a minute and let you know that all of us, no matter what our background is, no matter what our history is, no matter what our, our family upbringing or even our relationship to the church, we are all susceptible to ways of living and thinking and practicing Christianity that are not biblical, that don't fit appropriate biblical interpretation. Now, I'm going to show you that from this passage in just a second. But what we need when we read the Bible is the help of Jesus Christ to interpret the Bible correctly. Which means that the Bible in Jesus' hand, do you think Jesus can interpret the Bible? Do you think he knows how to handle the scriptures? Well, he's been doing pretty good since he came on the scene in the beginning of the book of Luke, right? Everything that he's been done has been according to God's word up to this point. So when Jesus opens the Bible, Jesus understands it correctly, Jesus interprets it correctly, and Jesus applies it correctly. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus tells a story from 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David and his men are on the run from Saul. They just got in 1 Samuel 20 a message from Jonathan, Saul's son, who tells David, David, my dad is after you. He's coming for you. And David and his men are on the run. And when they're on the run, they make their way to Ahimelech, a guy who's over the priest. He's a priest. And he's over the house of God. And as David and his men arrive on the scene at the tabernacle, at the house of God, they ask for provisions. And Ahimelech, one of the priests who were there, says, all we got is the bread of the presence. Now, the bread of the presence is the bread that the priests would bake. And they would bring it in to the holy place. And they would light the menorah. And they would put it on the table, two stacks of six. And you'd have this fresh bread that would last all week. Then at the end of the week, they would come, typically on the Sabbath, they'd take the bread away, they'd replace it with fresh bread because God loves the smell of fresh bread. Isn't that great? That's just wonderful to me. We have a, uh, this is nothing to do with the sermon, we have a bread limit in our house because our kids fall upon bread like vultures. <laughs> so we have to cut them off because we're strict parents. You can't enjoy that much bread. <clears throat> I mean, they're young. You know, their metabolism. You eat too much bread. You know, you feel bad for a week. Anyway. <laughs> bread, God, Jesus. Here we go. 
we'll get back on the on-ramp together. So here's Jesus telling a story. The interesting thing about 1 Samuel 21 is the story is void of any value judgments. Do you know that? It's a story that is merely descriptive. David and his men show up on the scene. They're hungry. Ahimelech goes, all we got is Goliath's sword and this bread. Probably, tradition says, that it was on a Sabbath. And David and his men receive from Ahimelech. Ahimelech says, this bread is given to me as a portion from the Lord to the priest. And Ahimelech says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to you because you are in need. You are facing being chased by the king of Israel. And we're going to make sure that you have the provisions. And Jesus in this passage says, what happens in that moment is right. Now, we all have to ask, as we read Luke and Jesus' interpretation, why is it right? Why does Jesus approve this? Because we're not talking about pharisaical tradition. We're talking about Leviticus chapter 4 that says only the priest can eat the bread. It's a command from God according to the ceremonial law that only the priest can eat the bread. So why is it that in this situation Jesus takes this story and applies it to him and his disciples in such a way to defeat the Pharisees' accusation? And the answer is in verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we've heard Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man before. Do you know when it was? It was back in chapter 4, where he tells the Pharisees, so that you would know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. So here we are again, Jesus using a term that refers to himself, that is from the book of Daniel, that speaks to his absolute sovereign authority. Now, his authority over what and to do what? You tracking with me so far? You okay? Okay. Jesus just said, I have authority over the Sabbath, which means I am Lord of the Sabbath, is what the term he uses there. Who's called him Lord? Peter has. Levi has. So when Jesus in verse 5 says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, it means I have the authority to determine the rightful use of the Sabbath. Therefore, Pharisees, you do not. And I determine that it's okay to eat on the Sabbath. Why? Because David and his men eat. Is that, what does that tell you about Jesus? There's somebody who's a newer and better and greatly anointed king who's present with his disciples, who now has the right to determine the proper use of the Sabbath. What's the proper use of the Sabbath? Meeting the needs of people. You with me? Now, Jesus closes that paragraph by letting you know that he has the authority to rightly interpret how to use the Sabbath. To rightly interpret the Sabbath in such a way to make it an avenue for meeting the needs of people. Because Ahimelech did it to David and David ate and David wasn't uh, rebuked. Now, we got another story. That speaks to Jesus' authority. Now we've got another story that shows up in verse 6. And now Jesus is going to apply it. But this time Jesus is going to go on the offensive. He's not going to play defense by quoting the Bible. What he's going to do is expose the way the Pharisees think. He's going to expose their worldview. And he's going to back them into a corner so that everybody would see 
that they don't have the right to use the Sabbath that way. Look at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Luke, the doctor, makes a point of this. No other gospel writer lets you know it was his right hand. You know what your right hand is typically in the Bible? Your right hand is your place of strength. It's the strength of power. God has a right hand, and it's his hand of power. Luke makes a point of letting you know that this is an individual who's in the synagogue at this time. Now, Jesus has been in the synagogue before. The last time Jesus was in the, in the synagogue, you had demons shouting, saying, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus was casting the demons out. Now you have an individual who's in the synagogue who's got a withered right hand, which means this is an individual who is weak. This is an individual who can't work. This is an individual who needs help. And here he is in the presence of Jesus as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Look at verse 7. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. This makes total sense to the Pharisees. Do you know that? Their worldview is such that they are prepared to accuse someone for doing good on the Sabbath. And that's the very thing Jesus is going to go after. The word watched is a very pregnant Greek term. It's used in Acts uh, about the plot to assassinate the Apostle Paul. So this is not a, a, a neutral term. If you thought they were watching what they were eating in the fields, they are like hawks in the synagogues, ready to pounce and accuse Jesus for doing wrong. Now, let's talk about the synagogue and work. Uh, when it comes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, you also have a lot of rules and restrictions about what could be done for people on the Sabbath. Because the minute you start serving people, the Pharisees are there standing there saying, ah, you're doing work, you can't do that. Which is a really warped way of looking at the Sabbath. The only things that were allowed on the Sabbath were to be able to deliver a baby, to circumcise a baby, or for a physician to prevent someone from dying. Other than that, you could not do anything for anyone else because it would be considered work. So here's this man who's in the synagogue, in the presence of Jesus, who's weak and withered. And the Pharisees are watching. They know this man is there. They know Jesus is there. They hear him teaching like he's always teaching. And you can feel the tension in the room start to rise, can't you? You can feel that there is about to be a confrontation. Uh, what's interesting, uh, this shows up, this will come up later in the book of Luke. Let me read you just something from, just, you could flip forward if you want with me, if you don't like and you're too tired to do that, just uh, Luke 13. Luke 13, uh, Jesus has a, a, um, has a ruler of the synagogue. We'll get to this in like 2026. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke 13, 14. 
Jesus heals this woman. She has a disabling spirit. She's bent over for 18 years. Luke 13, 14 says this. The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. How do, can you feel how demoralizing that is? That your religious practices have come to the place where you go, we can help you, just not today. We don't care about you today. We care about you later. Because we have to make sure that we don't do anything to the glory of God. Now, come back to Luke 6 with me. Here they are watching. Here they are plotting. And here's this man. And here comes the confrontation. Verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. Another tip off that Jesus is God. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Verse 9. And Jesus said to them, now this question... Jesus goes on the offense. This is an incredible question. Jesus, generally speaking, from my opinion, Jesus asks some incredible questions. Because Jesus' questions force the Pharisees to consider the things that they are doing. They force the Pharisees to examine their dutiful, dedicated, particular, faithful, complete inaction. Jesus will say in Matthew that the Pharisees uh, bind up heavy burdens on people and don't lift a finger to help them. So here's the question, verse 9. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? See, everything in the Pharisees' world revolved around restriction rather than freedom. Especially on the Sabbath. Everything on the Sabbath revolved around restraint, not release. It all revolved around doing nothing. And what Jesus says, Jesus turns it. Now, the Sabbath is a day for for not doing stuff, typically speaking. Sabbath is from a root word that means to cease. It means to stop. But Jesus turns his interpretation into an active thing. Do you see that? He makes obedience to the law the measure of the Sabbath. In effect, Jesus says this by his question. It's lawful on the Sabbath to do good and to save life. Which makes the Pharisees inaction harmful destruction of people. See, when Jesus asks this question, the answer is clear, isn't it? What are you supposed to do on the Sabbath? Rest. Is that the most important thing? No. There's one better thing that you could be doing with your Sabbath. What is it? Showing mercy. Helping others. Serving others. Meeting the needs of others. That's the whole point with the story of David. Imagine if the priest tells David, no, 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 my bread. Sorry. 
try elsewhere. He would be breaking and violating the commandments. See, God puts loving God, worshiping God right up there with loving people, doesn't he? He puts showing mercy and doing good and being kind and being active in our pursuit of caring for one another on equal plane with worshiping him. See, the Pharisees' perspective on life has been so corrupted that they only believe it's me and God. Therefore, nobody else has anything to do with my spiritual life. And Jesus says, what do you think? Do you think God is in heaven saying, way to go on the Sabbath, you doing nothing, showing no mercy, doing no good, caring for no one? You want to, this is, this is a real, it's too long for me to read, but spend some time reading Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58, the first like three quarters of the chapter, all has to do with fasting, which has to do with what we looked at last week. But the end of Isaiah 58 has to do with Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, God says, you keep your, your hand back, essentially, from doing what is good on the Sabbath to seek your own pleasure. You warp and twist this day into making it a day that's all about you. And when Jesus shows up on the scene with an individual who is weakened, who in the place where he ought to have strength, he's withered, Jesus cares. Verse 10, and after looking around at them, after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. So the Lord of the, ha- of the Sabbath isn't merely saying I have the right to do with the Sabbath what I want to. I have the authority to determine what is right on the Sabbath, but his use of authority on the Sabbath is to show mercy, to do good, and to restore life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great when we, like, now we got to translate some of this into our own day, right? But here comes Jesus. Imagine Jesus at church on Sunday. Do you think Jesus is serving anyone? Do you think Jesus has his eye on those who are wounded and hurt and in need of mercy and care and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? Do you think he comes in and goes, ah, they're singing my songs today. Everybody else be quiet. These songs are to me. No, Jesus walks into the the spiritual religious center of his day and says, I am here on the day of rest to give mercy and release and joy. How can God's people be any different? See, there's a lot of conversation about whether or not we should do stuff or not do stuff on the Sabbath. And I think Jesus just explodes that whole idea right here. Because there's two ways to screw up Sabbath. There's two ways to screw up your rest day. One is failing to stop and recognize that all that you have is a gift from God. There's one way over here to just work too much and to never rest and to give in to the fact that you think your life runs on your faithfulness, your dedication, your hard work, your financial good money management and not recognize that all that you have really all seven days of the week is given to you by God to steward and you are a recipient of what God has chosen to deposit into your life at this time and place and you're meant to stop and acknowledge that he is in charge, he's in control and all that you have is a gift from his, right? Amen? But there's another way to screw up Sabbath. You know what it is? It's to make Sabbath all about you. It's to never serve anyone on your day off. 
It's to never think about anyone with needs when you've got some free time. It's to make your spiritual life calcify around the fact that I did work out there. I don't need to serve anybody who's right in front of me. And Jesus steps into the Sabbath day and he takes a man with no strength, no ability. He uses a term, Luke uses a term withered, that has to do with land that is dried up. And it's as if the sweet, merciful rain of Jesus Christ falls on this man's life. He stretches out his hand and what is he able to do again with his right hand? He's able to work again. He's able to put his strength in the hands of Christ to be employed. How much do you think this guy served after his hand was healed? What do you think? Do you think he thought, Jesus, what would you like me to do with the hand that is broken that is now healed? Do you think he said, all of the strength that I've been given, this hand used to not work that good. Now it works great. Jesus, whatever you want me to do with my strength is in your hands. You want me to serve on Sunday, I'll serve on Sunday. You want me to, to show mercy to those who need it, I'll show mercy to those who need it. Because you have shown mercy to me. Now how do you think this sits with the Pharisees? Verse 11, they were filled with fury. Why? Because you're not supposed to do that, Jesus. Literally, the word for fury is uh, anoia. It means, literally, you're out of, they're out of their mind. They can't even think straight. They're so mad. And they discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here are these two worldviews. The Pharisee's worldview who refuses to show mercy. The Pharisee's worldview that says sinners aren't welcome here. The Pharisee's worldview that says you've got to be an insider. You can't be an outsider. The Pharisee's worldview that says you can't get your sins forgiven. And Jesus' worldview that says come and welcome to the party. Come and find free forgiveness. Come and receive mercy. Be restored. And here's Jesus taking a man who is weak, who nobody is willing to help, and to restore him to life again, to restore him to strength again by his willingness to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who has the ability to do good, to show mercy, to give forgiveness, and to restore you to who you are supposed to be. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11. Doesn't this text echo? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Guys, my concern in a text like this is that we would be busy with all the wrong stuff. That we would slowly, year after year, week after week, make our spiritual lives just about me and Jesus and lose the perspective that I think Jesus wants us to have is to be people Agents of reconciliation, ambassadors is what Paul calls it, that we would move toward people in need, that we would seek to use all that God has given us 
for the good of others. What's most important on the Sabbath? Showing mercy and doing good. Putting what God has given us into his hands and being willing to be used of him in somebody else's life. Imagine, we got 400 people in this room. Imagine 400 people who said, God, every weekend, all that you've given to me this week as a result of the work that I've put in, I acknowledge comes from you. God, would you give me an opportunity to do good and to show mercy to somebody else because of how kind and gracious you've been to me? Imagine that. Now, you can't do that if your schedule is full of you. You hear me? You can't do that if you build your entire schedule around you and things that you want to do. You've got to pause. You've got to stop. You've got to talk to Christ. You've got to make sure you've got margin. You've got to be able to have conversations with your spouse and say, where are the opportunities where we can show mercy to somebody else because of how merciful God has been to us? Because listen, guys, listen, let me just talk about men just for a minute because I'm going to rant on men. For, at 1113, I got to talk about this, I guess. Fellas, God has given you strength in your career, in your family, in your relationships for a reason. Are you using it in such a way where you are not withering? Are you putting the work in to be used of God with the gifts, abilities, and talents that he has given to you? Or is your spiritual life calcifying? Is it shrinking rather than moving out? Is it reducing your relationship to God to a certain list of things that you feel good about obeying? This, I mean, this crushes me. To watch Jesus reinterpret the law as active because we all interpret the law as prohibitive, don't we? When you think of the law, don't you think of don't speed, don't drink, don't drive, don't, 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 definitely don't, don't, don't. And Jesus says, what's lawful? to do good, to show mercy. And that's my hope for us, is that the culture of our church would be that. The culture of our church wouldn't be this persnickety law faithfulness that causes our souls and our hands to wither, but that we would be empowered by the Spirit of God to serve and to show mercy. Amen? That's our hope. Let's pray and observe the Lord's Supper here. Father, we need our own perspectives and interpretations and recent history and our culture to be reinterpreted by your word. God, even today as we read a passage like this, we can, I can see myself where I fail to do mercy. I fail to show love. God, would you give us the courage to be active in the things that you are calling us to do. Might we be active in showing mercy to those who need it. Thankful for all that you have done to give us and all of what you've given us in our own lives. So Father, shape those convictions in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.